And in the meantime, I'm going to pull up the scripture, which is in Genesis, I believe it's chapter 35, 45, verses 4 through 8 this morning. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this is our last week in Genesis for this series. Man, it's been a long one in Genesis. Genesis 45, verses 4 through 8, and I'll be reading out of the Common English Bible this morning. Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they moved closer. He said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold to Egypt. Now don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me here. Actually, God sent me before you to save lives. We've already had two years of famine in the land, and there are five years left without planting or harvesting. God sent me before you to make sure that you'd survive and to rescue your lives in this amazing way. You didn't send me here. It was God who made me a father to Pharaoh, master of his entire household, and ruler of the whole land of Egypt. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Six weeks into an 11-week series, and as Julie just pointed out, we're just going to finish the first of those the Old Testament books today. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. We're not going to have six weeks to spend on every one of those books. And honestly, we've left a lot of Genesis just, just kind of looked over, so... We're at the midpoint of the sermon series. This is like hump sermon, and we're one thirty-ninth of the way through the books. So I hope this series leaves you wanting more details about all the stuff in Genesis and in the other books that we haven't really touched on. I've skipped a bunch of stuff already. We're going to cover the, uh, the rest of the 38 books at like Mach 4, so... It might leave somebody wondering, why did we spend six out of 11 weeks on one out of 39 books? It's a good question. Before I get to that, though, just a, a reminder, a refresher, or bring us up to date. So one of my goals for each week of this series is to have a word that encapsulates the entire series. The, the idea of the series, the story till now, is to kind of tell the story of the Old Testament, because we'll finish this series as we go into Advent, which is the four-week season of preparation for celebrating the birth of Christ. So we decided, well, we got 11 weeks. Let's do the whole Old Testament. And uh, I wanted to hope, to hope, because I hoped it would help people grasp this, to kind of encapsulate each week in one word. So the first week was creation. The second week was frustration, because everything started out good, but then um, us being humans, it, it got frustrating. Because we're broken, we fail, we sin, we miss the mark, we fall short. Um, the third week was location because I felt like I wanted to make it clear because there are people in our world who think, man, if, if God is so big that God could create the universe, because we have an idea of how big the universe is now that the Bible era folks could not have imagined. And so it would be easy, and I've heard people say this, that... that if the universe is so big, how could God care about me? So beginning at Abraham and Sarah, God located in people the hope and the plan and the connection that God, who did create the whole universe, wants to have with each of us. So creation, frustration, location. And then the fourth word, because this is what Abraham and Sarah and their family were really called to is blessing. 
Because God didn't locate all, all, of, all that God wanted for earth in creation in this one family so that they would be God's chosen people and everybody else is just lost. God chose this one special people and located blessing in them because through them, God wants to bless all the families of the earth. And as followers of Jesus, we've been incorporated into that blessing. So through us, God wants to bless all the families of the earth. And then last week, I'm looking at Jacob's life. Um, the word was connection because Jacob shows us that, that humans all have this deep yearning for connection with others. And Jacob fought and wrestled with that and went about it all the wrong ways for a while. But God was faithful in all of Jacob's manipulations and using people and gave Jacob the connection that he was hungry for. So this week's word, before we get any further, is equipped. Just wanted you to know that. I promise I'll come back to that. But I, I want to give a little bit more time to this. Why do we spend six of 11 weeks on one of 39 books? And the answer is not in a word, but it's in a phrase that, uh, that I think it's important for us to keep in mind. And I think I might have said it here before. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, especially if I've said it this clearly and succinctly. But what I want you to know is that God is in this for the long haul. And I think that's one thing that Genesis wants to set up for us and why we've spent six elevenths of this series just on the book of Genesis. God is in this for the long haul. Our God, the creator of this whole universe, is in this thing we call life for the long haul. God isn't just interested in getting you and me and everybody to make a decision for Jesus, but instead to help us get to the kind of life where we don't make any decisions without Jesus. And for most of us, that's going to take a little bit of work yet. So I want to make this clear because there's one way of telling our story that makes that, that kind of can kind of come out sounding like this. God saw that things got so bad that God just had to destroy the world and start over. Now you might remember a version of that particular part of the story from week two because it already happened. It started in Genesis 6 with the Noah story, and it was done before Genesis 11 when we meet Abraham, which means that that's not how the story is now going to end. I see this occasionally. Again, when Facebook's not down, people feel like the world is getting so horrible, God's just going to end it. Like, you remember back when the all black with simple white print God billboards were the rage? This one that I saw driving somewhere through Dallas said, don't make me come down there, God. But here's the deal on that billboard, or the bumper sticker, or you might even have it on a t-shirt, because that's the way these memes kind of work. One, God said that God was never going to do that again. God is not going to look down on the world and see everything so bad and so hopeless that God's going to wipe it out, because that's what happened in Genesis and God set a rainbow in the sky to remind us that's not happening again. So every rainbow since then has testified to that. And two, this might be more important, when God did actually come down there, God came in the form of Jesus. God came in Jesus Christ. So it, it wasn't, if you're looking for a divine settling of the score because people are so horrible, the way God settled the score 
was to come in Jesus. So, Joseph, not to be confused with Joseph, father of Jesus, is our focus for today. And I think he's the perfect person for telling this part of the story. Because Joseph's story tells us that God equips us for ways that we can be part of God blessing all the families on the earth through us. Joseph's story also reminds us that God is in this for the long haul. Because Joseph is Jacob, you remember Jacob from last week, his 11th son. And that's important at this level of the story as a reminder of how good God is. Because this story was written in a time when the first son got the vast majority of all the inheritance. The first son was the favored child. It was written at a time when if a man was married to a woman who wasn't giving him children or wasn't giving him male children, he could cast her aside and find somebody else to give him that incredibly desired first son. But from the start, Genesis makes it clear that what's important to people doesn't limit what's important to God. Because Isaac was Abraham's second son. And yes, Abraham had done that whole, Sarah, you're not giving me the son that I wanted and God promised, so I'm going to go get with Hagar and produce Ishmael, which left Isaac, the son of the blessing, the second son. Jacob, the one who got the blessing from his father Isaac, was the second son. Joseph is the 11th born. But full disclosure, Joseph was the firstborn of the wife that Jacob wanted to marry in the first place. And I think we touched on that last week. So the big takeaway at this point is that what is important to people doesn't limit or determine what is important to God. And that's a, hope, a takeaway I hope all of us take away from this. So today's word is equipped. Joseph was equipped for what God's chosen people were going to face. So how was Joseph so equipped? Here's how it got set up. And at one point, I was going to read you the entire 37th chapter of Genesis. I'm reading this about Joseph's life, not to recommend that this is how you parent, but Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was born when Jacob was old. Jacob had made him a long robe. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of his brothers, they hated him and couldn't even talk nicely to him. Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers, which made them hate him even more. Have you experienced sibling rivalry? Okay, again, remember, one of the points of the book of Genesis is to help us all realize as we come towards Thanksgiving, our family's dysfunction is nowhere near the level of the biblical family's dysfunction. So find some hope and grace in that. Which made him hate them even more. He said to them, listen to this dream, ten older brothers. When we were binding stalks of grain in the field, my stalk got up and stood upright, while your stalks gathered around it and bowed down to my stalk. His brother said to him, will you really be our king and rule over us? So they hated him even more because of the dreams he told them. He had another dream. I'm not going to read that because I don't know if we have time to read the entire 37th chapter. But skipping down a little bit, Joseph's brothers went to tend their father's flocks in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, aren't your brothers tending the sheep near Shechem? Come. I'll send you to them. And he said, I'm ready. Jacob said to him, 
go, find out how your brothers are and how the flock is and report back to me. So Joseph sent him from the Hebron Valley when he approached Shechem. A man found him wandering in a field, wonder, and asked him, what are you looking for? Joseph said, I'm looking for my brothers. Tell me where they're tending sheep. Well, they left here. I heard them saying, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers. They saw Joseph in the distance before he got close to them, and they plotted to kill him. The brothers said to each other, here comes the big dreamer. Come now. Let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns, and we'll, we'll say a wild animal devoured him. Did you ever get so far as to make up a story about what happened to your sibling to tell your parents? But Reuben, Reuben's the oldest brother. He's got some responsibility. Reuben heard what they said. He saved him from them, telling him, let's not take his life. Reuben said, don't spill his blood. Throw him into this cistern, but don't lay a hand on him. He intended to save Joseph from them and take him back to his father. I think, I think it kind of, we reached the climax of the story of sibling rivalhood, rivalry and how it fell upon Joseph in verse 27. Where Judah says, one of the other brothers says, come on. Or no, he says, what do we gain if we kill our brother and hide his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not harm him because he's our brother. He's family was the reason that we're going to sell him to somebody. His brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph up from the cistern. They sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph, they brought Joseph to Egypt. Do you feel like Joseph brought this on himself? You don't have to answer out loud, obviously. But if you haven't, if you haven't opened ovillaumc.org slash connect and entered all your contact info, your prayer requests, things like that, answer in there. Do you feel like Joseph kind of brought this on himself? Sibling rivalry kind of cuts deep, doesn't it? But if you know the Joseph story, you know this obviously is then. So they sell him to the Ishmaelites, who are their cousins, and they take Joseph to Egypt and sell him off there. And then we find Joseph in Potiphar's house, and Joseph is a, a very sharp-minded young man, so he rises to the ranks of leading in Potiphar's house, but he's also an attractive young man, so Potiphar's wife decides she wants him. But Joseph has within him this, this strength and integrity to where in, he tells Potiphar's wife, with me here, my master doesn't pay attention to anything in his household. He's put it all under my control. No one's greater than I am in this household. And he hasn't denied me anything except you and you are his wife. How could I do this terrible thing and sin against God? So we see Joseph's got some resolve here, which in Egypt got him thrown in jail because Potiphar's wife you know, queued up some accusations against him, got him thrown in jail, which was exactly the place for Joseph because in, in, in jail, Joseph met the Pharaoh's chief cupbearer. I actually like the way the Common English Bible translates that as wine steward because I never really got cupbearer, um, and baker. And he's there for a couple of years in jail, 
and they have dreams that they can't figure out what they mean, and Joseph interprets them. They come to Joseph for some reason because they're trying to find out what these dreams mean, and Joseph interprets them because Joseph says, don't interpretations belong to God? Describe your dreams to me. Now, I couldn't find anywhere in Scripture where it says authoritatively that all interpretations of, all interpretations of dreams belong to God, but Joseph saw this as an opportunity with some abilities that he had with which he was equipped, and he felt the sense that God was faithful. So even though his brothers hated him and sold him off to some passing merchants who sold him off into Egypt, which ended up getting him in prison, Joseph still believed that God was faithful, and these abilities that Joseph had could be used to benefit. Going through all that, Joseph still had the perspective that God was faithful and continued to be faithful. Do you feel like God has always been faithful? And I want you to know that even though we're in a church service, it's okay to say no to that. In fact, I specifically want to give you permission to say, I have not always felt like God is faithful. I think it was my first Sunday preaching as chaplain at the Methodist Children's Home. I didn't know where to start with talking to 200 adolescents who, for any variety of reasons, were not able to live with their parents or guardians, but came into our care. And so I figured, okay, I'm going to start with this. Some of you might not be real happy with God over your being in the children's home. So I presented them the message based on Scripture especially the Psalms, that God is fine with us expressing frustration, anger, discomfort, disbelief that God is always faithful. The Psalms are full of this. And it's throughout other parts of Scripture too. And on the way out, this one young man <clears throat> thanked me for my message. He said, thank you for that message, Pastor Steve. It's really important that people can, can tell God that they're angry, can just shake their fist and shout at God. And so I said, oh, Mike, have, have you ever done that? Oh, no, sir, we're Baptists. We don't do that. <laughs> now, I'm not highlighting the Baptists here for any particular reason other than that's what he said because I guarantee there are Methodists who say, oh, no, we don't, we don't ever express that we felt like God's unfaithful. But I want you to feel free. When you feel, when you're stuck in the midst of maybe you feel like you're getting sold off into Egypt or you're getting thrown in prison for having integrity... It's okay to admit that you don't feel in that moment like God is faithful. Because as I said, the Psalms are full of this feeling, and they're in the Bible. Not because God isn't faithful, but because God is faithful, and we're humans, and God wants us to feel free to admit that sometimes we don't feel like God is faithful. So, back to Joseph, who if he ever felt like God wasn't faithful didn't make it into the book of Genesis. So he's freed from prison because the cupbearer and the baker have their dreams interpreted, and the cupbearer gets released from prison back into Pharaoh's services, and a couple years pass, and Pharaoh's having this weird dream that nobody can interpret for him. And finally, the cupbearer remembers, hey, I knew this guy in prison. So Pharaoh calls for Joseph to be brought out of prison. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. 
Pharaoh makes Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. Because Pharaoh's dream is that there's going to be seven years of famine, seven years of, 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 of surplus and extra, and then seven years of famine. And he says, well, I need to find somebody that can be put in charge of this so that we can save the surplus to survive the famine. And Joseph gets put in charge of all that. Now, please note, nowhere in the book of Genesis does it say that Joseph has any idea how the next chapter of his life is going to go. He's living day to day, faithfully relying upon God's faithfulness. Sometimes we get the idea that we know how life is going to turn out, like, like we know how God wants it to turn out. To me, the clearest example to this is as I was getting out of my first marriage, going through all the grief and stress and anxiety and, and depression. Did I say anger? There was a bit of anger. I went and got some help in getting my life straightened out. A couple years of therapy. Got in a divorce care group. Somewhere in there I learned you should make a list of of what you want before you get back into a relationship because you're hurt, you're wounded, you're damaged, you don't want to just fly back into something. Top of my list. No more kids. I'm done. One and done, man. And that kid was in high school. I didn't ever need to do that again. I suppose I thought that this was coming from God. I give thanks every day for the life that God has blessed me with since knowing for sure that I was done having kids. And especially in the internet world, if you don't know because you're not here, um, since that time, I've got a now 9 and a now 11-year-old. So I thought I knew how life was going to go. And I'm thankful every day that I remained open to God's faithfulness doesn't depend on me having everything figured out. So we don't know if Joseph knew the future, but he knew that God was faithful. And that God had already carried him through some pretty difficult things. So um, Joseph said in chapter 41, he's had a couple of sons now, Manasseh and Ephraim. This kind of gives us a hint in how Joseph uh, understood where God was and what God was doing in all this. Um, Joseph named his oldest son Manasseh because, he said, God has helped me forget all of my troubles and everyone in my father's household. And he named his second son Ephraim because, he said, God has given me children in the land where I've been treated harshly. So I want to make a couple of points about this because I think this is important for us because we live in the kind of times that we are likely to throw out, uh, say things, and then wish we could pull the words back into our mouths. Have you ever done that? Done that yet today? I know it's not noon yet. Or hit send on that social media post and then thought, no. So a couple of things. When Joseph said, God has helped me forget my troubles, it doesn't mean that we ought to tell people, get over your past. Because that's between a person and God. 
This was Joseph's decision. It was his claim. It was his confession. It's not something we get to say to anyone else. Joseph didn't say it to or about anyone else. He said this about himself. At the same time, I want you to know that I think the writer of Genesis wants you to know this too, that we serve a great and a very good God and that no matter what we've been through, God is faithful and has equipped us for everything that we'll face in our lives. At the same time, in this same collection of books, the Bible, Elijah, one of, if not the greatest Old Testament prophet, had just defeated 450 prophets of Baal, and he's running for his life, and he shows up in a cave, he's hiding, and he cries out to God, to take his life because he's the only one left. God didn't come to him and say, get over it, Elijah. I'm God. God came to him and said, I've preserved those who remain in Israel, totaling 7,000 people. You're not alone, Elijah. When Mary could have felt alone in the world with her incredible, hard to believe, and even though these were primitive people but compared to us, this hard-to-believe news from an angel that Mary was going to bear a child who would be called the Son of the Most High. She went to her cousin, Elizabeth, for help and support and encouragement. When you doubt, and I believe if we're honest with ourselves, we'll all admit that sometimes we doubt. This is what the church is for. For carrying us when we don't know if we can carry ourselves. For believing for us when we don't know if we can believe for ourselves. You see, one of Joseph's strengths, the main one I think, is his willingness to recognize that God had equipped him to face whatever life brought his way. God has equipped you to face whatever life brings your way. Sometimes equipping means you have the means... And any means that you have, you have because God is good. Any possessions, any investments, any skills you've developed, any talents you've received, you have because God is good. You don't have anything because you deserve it or because you've earned it. You might have worked hard and sacrificed and scrimped and saved, but there are people who have worked as hard or harder, who have sacrificed as much or more, and for some random cause or event, don't appear as successful or as comfortable or as equipped as you. And there are people who don't seem very deserving or hardworking or sacrificial who seem by some random cause or turn of events in their lives to have everything fall their way. They don't seem equipped but they reap the benefits. So by looking at all of Joseph's life, we have to admit that he faced some devastatingly hard times and some remarkably good times, and God equipped him for all of them. God equips us for all of the times that we face. A book I'm reading right now, it's a book by Richard Beck. He's a psychology professor at Abilene Christian University. It tells of a, it, it, he includes a letter in there that he received a few months after he guest preached 
at a church. He didn't say where it was, but here's the letter. Dr. Beck, there's absolutely no way you can remember this, but about 11 months ago, you spoke at our church, and my wife and I came up to say hello after, the church, after church. At the time, I was the director of education at a prestigious institution. I'm not bragging about that, but what you said at our church uppercutted me through my heart. I realized that Sunday that my career was about me. My career wasn't about my wife or God or anything but myself. So last August, my family moved and I started teaching world history to 10th graders in an inner city high school where 98% of the students are on free and reduced lunch. Two weekends ago, my wife and I went to the hospital with a box of diapers to visit a 16-year-old student who had just had a baby. I have four other pregnant students, a male student who is 16 and has two kids, and a student who just got arrested for assault. I've never worked as hard in my life as I am now. There are days where I work harder than I did in a month at my other job, but I've never felt more alive, and we truly feel this is the mission field. I just wanted you to know that a sermon you preached at church with a parking lot full of SUVs actually changed my life, my wife's life, our daughter's life, and ideally, the lives of 152 10th graders. God equips all of us. All the equipping we have is from God, and we have our lifetime to give it back. So if you haven't started yet, start now. Please pray with me. God, you are faithful, and you are good, and you have equipped us for every dilemma, challenge, hardship, success we might face. Some of that equipping God, I'm convinced, is that you've surrounded us with a church that can carry us when we're too weak to walk. But God, we give ourselves to you with all of our equipness, and we bless you because you know our stories. You have been faithful to bring us this far, and your faithfulness will not fail us. So whether we feel caught up in your faithfulness and the glory of your goodness, or whether we just barely dragged ourselves to this worship experience, God, help us know that you are faithful and that you have equipped us to be a part of your plan that through us all the families of the earth will be blessed. Because God, we live in a world that is full of and threatened by darkness and brokenness and pain and anger and frustration and disgust and outrage. We know the world is full of that because we brought some of it here with us this morning. So God, as we continue to worship you, the way maker, open us to your presence and your goodness that we might live for you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name who gave his life for us. Amen.